Creating Utopia, the podcast, ideas to change the world, where we turn conversation into action. Thank you for joining. This episode is titled, Solar Energy, How to Empower the Planet. Thank you to everyone who voted on the Twitter poll I did this week. It was a close race, and desalination technology will be next. But for this week's episode, I hope to provide a little bit of insight into the world of renewable energy, focusing specifically on solar. At this point, most of us are familiar with the basics in this space. We have a panel that converts UV from the sun into energy. We convert the energy for use in the home or store it in batteries and ultimately reduce the costs of your electrical bill. Or if you have enough money, you can go off the grid and be powered fully by solar. This has been possible since the 1990s, feasible for middle-class income earners since 2010, and becoming very popular around the world today with some governments, like that in Canada, offering credit systems and buyback programs to make the investment less burdensome, or in France, making solar panels mandatory. I'll just mention that I'm not exactly sure which route is the best to take here. Let the marketplace do what it's supposed to do and eventually have the price of panels drop down until they're affordable for all, or have government incentive programs to increase use and drive the price down artificially. It's hard to say which is more effective. There are benefits and there are negative repercussions on each side. What I want to do to start is look at the concept of energy in general from a different perspective. For those born in the last half century, in the relative, quote, industrialized nations, most will not be able to remember a time when their house did not have some form of electricity. Much like the generations being born today are waking up in a society that has the internet embedded into multiple aspects of life, it will be hard for them to imagine what life would be like completely offline. For those of us with electricity now, listening to this, I'm going to guess that you woke up in a place that had lights. It's just a switch on the wall, and we have the miracle of light in our bedroom or kitchen or front porch. But let's try to think for the moment about the things that are essential to one's survival and progression in the 21st century. We need water. We need food. We need air. We need shelter. To progress, you could argue we will need electricity. We will need the internet. We need long-distance transit. We need machines in general. Certainly, we could revert to a simple off-grid lifestyle where our environmental footprints are individually as near zero as possible. We could organize that we recycle everything, produce little to no waste, or abandon modern civilization entirely and let the environment regenerate in a natural way. There are many, many things we could do, with pros and cons to each. But I want to stay in the realm of the trajectory of where we're heading globally. We've had electricity for over 100 years. It's not going anywhere. The rest of the world is literally lighting up as we speak, experiencing for the first time the immense benefits in terms of food storage, the ability to study at night, healthcare, and many things we just take as something to be expected. So why contemplate how fragile and how strange the system that we have in place to get electricity? It might be an odd thing to think about, but as of this moment, we really have no control on an individual level 
about whether or not we get electricity, how much we pay for it, the way it's produced, and the consequences of that production. We're at the whim of an industry, and sure, it's being influenced by the government, so it's not a free radical corporation or something that tomorrow could raise your electricity bill to $1,000 a day. But what is interesting to me, in same as what I mentioned last week, in a world where capitalism and Adam Smith and John Locke's ideas of private ownership and the rights of the individual prevail, why do so few people see the value in being the owner of their electricity? Think about it. We want to own property. Literally the land we live on, it's widely considered an accomplishment if you own your own house. Many people work 30 years paying a mortgage just for the privilege of owning their property. Many own cars. You want to own your furniture and your clothing and your cell phone and your TV. There are even bookstores. Amazon started as a bookstore, even though we have libraries where you can get books for free because people want to own their own books. But we don't want to own the thing that allows us to read those books at night, watch that TV, keep our food fresh, or keep our homes heated or cooled. One of the reasons I think maybe that this is never brought up or at least I've never really heard anyone talking about this, is because if you really look at it, electricity is kind of a socialist program. We've outsourced our individual sovereignty, realized that collaboration with our communities provided a mutually beneficial outcome for everyone involved, albeit I would argue unfairly. I'm not a capitalist, and I'm not a socialist. I've mentioned it before, and I'll get around to making episodes on each topic in the future. But I can elaborate a bit further here and reiterate that I find it strange that we're arguing over which economic system, devised 100 plus years ago, is more suitable today. It's not surprising that pre-internet, the false dichotomy of capitalism versus socialism was easily espoused. But in 2018, isn't it clear to see that the high-functioning societies today are incorporating elements of both? Insurance, public schools, public roads, electricity, public water, healthcare here in Canada, socialist programs alongside a capitalist private sector. And it's great, because there are certain areas where the market ethic and capitalism can be efficient, and some areas where it's in the people's best interest to pool their resources, to use a term that I recently heard someone say is a scary term, and I couldn't disagree more, for the greater good. Now, what does this all have to do with solar energy? Well, while I think some areas of life are better left to the, quote, radical socialists, like healthcare or schools, electricity is an area that I think it's in everyone's best interest to be individually empowered and in control. I might have a global perspective bias here, but healthcare, you need a specialist. You can't do it by yourself. Education, you most likely need a specialist. There will be an episode where I discuss the future of education and how it's changing. But for now, I hope you can see that for this perhaps life necessity, the ability to have light and heat and refrigeration, I know I would feel much better if I was in control of whether or not I have electricity. 
to go against the semi-socialist program we have established. As someone who's lived through two three-day power outages so far in my life in the middle of winter and visited South Africa during the rolling blackouts, I've seen villages without power or with a single solar panel for a light and a fan. It's not good. I would go as far to suggest that perhaps electricity should be viewed as a human right. This is where solar comes in. Yes, there's geothermal, wind, tidal, hydro, nuclear, coal. There are a plethora of ways to generate electricity. But where solar has a clear advantage is that you get to own and operate your own electrical plant. You're in the driver's seat. Solar panels are cheap. They have been since I started my own solar panel installation company a few years back. We have the Powerwall, an at-home battery storage unit that holds enough electricity to power your home for days, let alone during the night or a particularly cloudy day. Just think about the things you pay for over and over on a recurring basis. Various insurances, rent or mortgage, property taxes, income taxes, phone bill, electrical bill. If you lease a car, you make a payment every two weeks or month and it goes toward no type of investment. It's just gone. It is most likely in your best interest to own the car, although car shares would be the number one option. If you rent your home, you pay every month, and it goes toward no type of investment. Again, it's gone. It's most likely in your best interest to own your home. Well, I realize many people can't afford to own cars or homes, but those who do own a home most likely can afford to own their electricity. They can stop renting or leasing, just paying every month and having it go to no type of investment. This is relevant to the ideas from Alex Epstein, the author of The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. It would be wonderful if he happened to listen, because I think this line of reasoning can be applicable to his philosophical bent. And especially since you can't argue that solar panels are simply more expensive anymore. They're not. While I enjoyed his book, agreed in some places and disagreed in many more, what struck me was the unwillingness to consider not just the personal benefits of electrical independence, but rationally weigh the external positive consequences that one's own self-interested actions in this space toward private ownership would produce. We all can see the negative consequences of existing energy production methods, and we all also recognize that we're not really in a position to change that on a macro scale. Well, with solar panels, for the first time in human history, we have the ability to be energy independent while also being much less harmful to the environment. I'm going to read some statistics from my book. But before I do, I'll quickly try out my new segment, What Would I Do? The first thing I don't understand is how there seems to be little to no organizational power at grassroots levels. There are pockets of citizens who are involved in community decision making, but even local governments could run on encouraging villages and towns to become energy independent. Local energy co-ops are popping up all over the world where they're simply building large-scale solar panel fields and powering the homes in a less environmentally strenuous way. 
I already installed them on my roof and started an installation company in my early 20s. It can be done personally. I would suggest just look into how much it would cost to install them yourself with the guidance and assistance of an electrician. I also don't understand why new homes in 2018 aren't being built with solar roofs and battery systems built into the home. They could be off-grid from day one, with connection to the traditional grid for an emergency backup or to send surplus electricity back into the grid to power the neighbors. Large buildings, buses, boats, their designs all could have solar incorporated. Again, it makes no sense because, I mean, we live in the capitalist system, and it lowers the cost. A concept coined by uh, Jeremy Rifkin, zero marginal cost. Solar technology, the vertical farm, desalination plants, a lot of these technologies operate with this principle. And I won't go into it here, but I highly recommend reading his book titled Zero Marginal Cost and watching the documentary the third industrial revolution. Someone like Alex Epstein, I wonder, have they considered the positive elements of zero marginal cost technologies? But I'll end this short segment with the biggest question of all. I think the hydro and electrical and oil companies should not be vilified the way many do. I mean, it's like, if it wasn't for the industrial revolution and the burning of fossil fuels, we wouldn't have medicine. We wouldn't have the internet. We wouldn't have the ability to travel to space and potentially reach out to new planets in the coming decades and centuries. We have to be appreciative of the work done to get us to a point, even if it was dirty work, figuratively or literally. The, the problem I have, if there's any vilification necessary, is to say, why don't these companies just switch to renewables now? You can continue to make all the money in the world. No one really cares anymore when all of the trillions of dollars in the world are held by just a small sliver, 1% of the planet, and it's held by governments and corporations. People are waking up and realizing that they don't really care about money. They just want to survive and enjoy life. So they tolerate having to get money. There's an ambitious subset who organize their life around making more money because they want more experiences that you need money for. And there's an ambitious subset who organize their life around having more time because they want more experiences that you need time for. But when people have a billion dollars, while most will never have 100,000, people can see that this system, this economic game, it's not, well, real. It's a game. There are winners and losers, but at this point the winners are really far ahead it's like LeBron James playing against 8th graders. At some point, the 8th graders are going to stop playing. If the billionaires and uber wealthy want us to continue to participate, why not just switch over to renewables and do the planet a favor? Your children and grandchildren will be proud that you were involved in changing the way the world gets power. The oil executives have read zero marginal cost. They know they would make even more profit if they switched. But again, just like Vertical Farms in last week's podcast, perhaps they can see too that while they could profit, if they promote the new superior technology in this space, people will see they don't have to pay for it from the corporation at all. They can be empowered, sovereign individuals who can survive on their own.
and be in charge of their own electrical needs and costs. Just a thought. Now, I'll jump right into reading from my book, Legacy, and a lot of this is quoted from various sources. The upper atmosphere of Earth receives a vast amount of energy, more than 23,000 times that used by the human population of the planet. If humanity could capture just one-tenth of one percent of the solar energy striking the Earth, we would have access to six times as much energy as we consume in all forms today with almost no greenhouse gas emissions. What problems does solar energy alleviate? The depletion of non-renewable resources. 1.2 billion people are without access to electricity. Non-renewable sources emit carbon pollutants. Scarcity of non-renewable resources inevitably raise prices. Localized distribution methods are applicable for solar energy on rooftops and solar farms. There are over 60 solar panel plants in operation worldwide. A new law passed by legislators in France makes it now mandatory for all new buildings constructed in commercial zones to have solar panels or partially green roofs. Hawaii has become the first state to require solar water heaters in new homes. The law which requires these energy-saving systems in homes took effect in 2010. Extrapolated Statistics One solar farm produces enough electricity for 140,000 homes, using Ivanpah, the solar field in California, as a benchmark. To provide electricity to Los Angeles, 1.4 million homes, it would take 10 solar farms. To provide electricity to the United States, 134 million homes, it would take 958 solar farms. To provide electricity to the entire planet, based on worldwide electricity usage, it would take 141,767 solar farms, roughly 1.43% of the total land on Earth. Solar farms of that size and scale are not inexpensive. But it's interesting to think in terms of what could be done were a consorted effort made to alter the delivery system for how our species procures and consumes energy. Like last week, it's only a matter of time before the ideas that are in this case superior to everything that exists end up winning. It's happening in France and China and individually all over the world. I guess the purpose I feel for making this podcast would be to say that this type of issue how do we power the planet for the coming century, would be what I would be discussing if I was on the news. And then empowering every individual citizen to get involved and make a difference if they would like. We all need to at least have the ability to engage and be a part of the world and community around us. Which leads us to the final segment, the way I end every podcast, how to create utopia. I haven't discussed the sharing economy much yet, but I will because I believe we are in the middle of transitioning into a new type of economic paradigm. And while I promote the sharing economy from many angles, for this week, I have to contradict the sharing ethic and highly encourage anyone to consider becoming energy independent on some level. A rare area while I will promote ownership over access for the time being. I remember when I started my company years ago, the most common objection I heard was, it's too expensive. But that simply wasn't true then, and it's certainly not true today. If you happen to be considering building a tiny home or a garage, this is the time to get solar panels installed on that roof. The payback considerations, how many years it takes to make your investment worthwhile, 
are nearing five years, 10 years at the maximum, which would mean that for the remaining 10 to 15 years after you break even and those panels operate, you're saving money. There are models online of community-based solar projects that have become reality. Uh, the community f pools a bunch of money together, they install a solar field, and they end up paying much, much less than they would have using traditional methods. Co-ops can be started. We do have the ability to influence our municipality to act. To try to bring up a theme that I've been trying to build on almost every week, we have the power to create the world that we want to be a part of. I know many won't be in the position to implement solar panel technology directly in their lives, but just by sharing what is possible and promoting this idea from all perspectives, clarifying misconceptions, we're moving the conversation forward. But regardless, if you're curious how far the consumer product solar energy market has progressed, here's a quick look at some of the products you can buy that run on solar panels built right in. Solar backpack, solar cell phone chargers, solar waste compactor, solar cooker, solar fan, solar furnace, solar air conditioner, solar keyboard, solar pump, solar desalination unit, solar cooler, solar lawnmower, solar car, boat, bike, golf cart. Remember, when the automobile was introduced, not everyone immediately transitioned. They still rode their horses and buggies for quite a while. It takes time, but in the next five years, I have no doubt that solar technology will be recognized as the most viable energy source. It is and will be a main source of power and empowerment to the nearly 8 billion humans who inhabit this planet. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Creating Utopia. If you found this podcast valuable, share it with your friends and social networks. Follow me on Twitter at creating underscore utopia and make sure to ask questions, comment. I'll make every effort to reply to everyone. Stay tuned for the next podcast on desalination. <laughs>